Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all ages, we proudly bring to you out of Studio 212 out of the heart of Seattle, Washington, this is Physical Culture Radio. I'm your dopest host with the most, Greg Jones, Coach Greg Jones, Instagram and Facebook, along with my super dope host, Chris Edmonds. Chris, how are you doing today? Doing well, man. How about yourself? Uh, pretty good. I actually um, got off a leg workout this morning, felt pretty strong. I'm going to do a DEXA scan um, after I get adjusted at my chiropractor's office today at 3 p.m. So it's going to be interesting to see in the off season here um, where my body fat's at. And I'm going to guess it's about 11 or 12. What do you think it's going to come in at knowing kind of what my body looks like in, in my recent pictures? Yeah, as I told you before the show, I'm, I'm going to guess 10 and a half to 11 and a half. If I had to put money on it. Okay. <laughs> okay. So generally speaking, uh, just to kind of talk about body fat real quick, guys, before we get into the topic of bringing up a lagging body part, which is today's topic um, in physical culture radio, is generally speaking, um, in the off season, some bodybuilders and physique athletes and whatnot get up to, you know, they, they, they dirty bulk and they get up to, I don't know, 15%, some women, 20% body fat, some guys maybe get over 15%. If you put it into perspective and then some people keep in single digits, um, I, I, I don't think you need to, I think everybody's metabolism is a little bit different when you're trying to put on mass. I feel you should put on a little bit of body fat, not get sloppy with it, but a little bit of body fat and the excess of calories is going to help you put on more lean tissue. Chris, what do you think about that philosophy? I've, I've tried it always with personally and with clients. And I think the answer to me is somewhere in the middle. Um, I've tried staying leaner and I didn't grow optimally. I've tried getting, well, super fat for me, but to the point where I felt uncomfortable. Um, and that didn't work well. I think honestly, I'm finally, finally finding what's the best for me. And I think that's between 10 and 13. Um, what I want to think about yeah. is I want to see muscle separation everywhere. It doesn't have to be dug out, but if I don't have muscle separation and I don't have veins in my extremities as a bodybuilder, I'm too fat. Um, I, <laughs> and I just don't, I just don't like that look. Um, I like when I pick up a weight and veins are bulging my forearms. You know, I, I like to be able to see my dick when I wake up in the morning. Um, I don't have, <laughs> those are just things that if I'm being honest, like that's where I think bodybuilders grow the best and feel the best and probably maintain the best health. Um, staying shredded year round is good for Instagram, but it's not for putting on tons of lean tissue. Um, right. How much of this is our neurotic fucking mindset? Because we get in such low body fat and such great condition uh, you and I probably get in between three and 5% when we're on stage. Um, and, and then you get up around 10% or 12% or, you know, and you feel like a fat fuck, oh, yeah. but to most people, you're not fat. People will go, Oh God, you're in such good shape. I want to get in good shape like you. And, and, and my first response is I'm not in good shape right now, oh, yeah. but what we're, what we're thinking about is when we feel like we're in great shape and our cheeks are fucking sunk in and we're strided and vascular everywhere. And how much of that is normal to feel like that? Or what do you think about that? Uh, you know, you know, what's interesting is uh, I think coming from me as a skinny kid, like being lean was just a part of life. Um, 
growing up, I was never above 10%. Um, my dad's not above 10%. Right. My brother's not above 10%. My mom sure as hell wasn't. Um, I mean, my dad's 62 years old and has abs. So, uh, and he's like vascular head to toe. Like his form, veininess, and, and like quad and hamstring and calf vein, like veins make yeah. me jealous. He's got that paper thin skin, uh, which is, you know, conducive yep. to what we do. And I thank him for it. Um, so I think that like I had a very unhealthy perspective of what lean was because it was never, I just never something I had to work at. I had to work at putting on tissue. So then when my body fat creeps yeah. up to when I got, I think the highest I was probably like 15%. I felt like I was a like obese fat piece of shit and I hated it. Um, and then I think for me on the flip side, when I get into great contest shape, I want to maintain that. And it kind of gives you like a mind fuck because you're super lean and you love the way you look in the mirror, but that doesn't mean you're necessarily getting the best workouts for growth, but you like looking like a yeah. contest ready bodybuilder. So the psychology there is always like this push pull. Like when you're getting and in, transitioning into the off season out of a reverse diet, you're like, man, I really want to stay lean like this. But at the same time, I know that that's not going to, it's going to give me optimal muscle growth in the off season. Yeah. And that's where I think a lot of guys right. and girls fail and that's either they stay on drugs for too long and like abuse clean T3 growth hormone um, to keep them lean while eating more calories or they calorie restrict themselves and do tons of cardio. And that's not a good thing either because then when it comes time to diet for your next show, you're doing so much cardio to start eating so little calories you have nowhere to pull from. Um, so it's a, weird, yeah. it's a weird balance in my opinion um, of yep. – how to be successful in this, how to mentally be happy in your own skin. Um, I have, yeah. I, I have, you know, that's a, that's a big one uh, with a lot of women, yeah. especially in, in, in clients that I've had and just women that I know in the industry is, you know, they get in shape and they, and they do crazy things to get in shape. They take clenbuterol, they take T3, they're on the shit for months and months. Yep. And then they come off and they, they balloon up, they get off the drugs um, and they kind of tank and they and they don't they'll stop working out yep. and they'll start drinking. And then it's like this, you know, downward spiral type thing. And it's kind of a little bit of a, you know, they allow themselves to, to kind of get mind fucked, if you will. Um, and so I, I think you mentally have to shift gears a little bit when you're in prep. You're going to feel small. You're dieting, you're trying to, you know, show off muscle separation and get real low body fat. And that needs to be your mindset. Yep. When you're putting on muscle, it's not to get as fat as possible and, you know, dirty bulk and all that, but you gotta have a little bit of excess body fat in, in order to put on that lean, lean body tissue. And there's some guys that and maybe some people respond better to having a little bit of dirty calories. I know Dave Tate. Um, was in this interview. Do you remember this interview that he had with John about how he put on size and went from like 275 to three over 300 in, in body weight? Is that, and what is he, that where he, he fucking is ate? Is that where he was putting like olive oil on like extra large Domino's pizzas? So yeah, he, <laughs> he'd have a, a super large, extra meaty, extra cheese, large pizza every night, eat it by himself. Every two hours, he'd eat a fucking Hershey's bar. Mm-hmm. 
uh, to keep the insulin levels high. And he was basically smashing, I don't know, maybe it was close to 10,000 calories a day. But he said when he was trying to, you know, do 4,000, 5,000, 6,000, he would not gain. Of course, this is an extreme power lifter who'd already was 280 pounds. Right. But this is what got him to that bigger amount. And I know guys like Lee Priest, you know, Doreen Yates, there's, you know, uh, Nasser L somebody, and there's, a lot of bodybuilders that get pretty freaking big in the off season and then they lose, you know, 50, 60 pounds and getting ready for shows. Yep. So anyway, guys, let's get to, into our, our topic for today, uh, bringing up lagging body parts. And so kind of what we're talking about is everybody has better body parts and worse body parts. Some people have smaller legs. A lot of people have smaller legs to start with. Some people have smaller arms. Some people have smaller backs. Some people, you know, uh, need to bring up their shoulders and chest. Whatever it is you're bringing up, um, I think the first question you ask is, why is that body part lagging? Am I correct? Yes, sir. Without a doubt. So to me, you look at and you and you assess this by looking at pictures. And those can be either your stage photos or if you're new to this or coming to a, a trainer, nutritionist for the first time as a non-competitor, the first thing we're going to do is assess your photos and kind of assess your weaknesses versus your strong points. So to me, if you're super skinny, you don't have any strong points and weaknesses. Everything needs to grow. Don't focus on that. I'm, I think with this episode, we're really talking more about the intermediate to advanced. And then obviously the top level of bodybuilding is what this show is right. towards for today. Now, at the same time, if yeah. you're a 40 year old housewife and um, you want your glutes to look better in a bikini, by all means, the stuff we're going to talk about today will be applicable to you um, because you want to bring up a, a body part in this as, as that example you want your glutes to grow, um, that's going to work for you. But if we're talking about a uh, physique sport and you're 165 pounds at 5'10", everything needs to grow. So don't focus on, man, my legs suck or my arms are really, really small. Everything's small. You're 165 pounds. So right. if you're a intermediate to advanced level bodybuilder and let's say we look at your photos and you have really lagging legs, why is that? Did you not train them hard early in your career um, or in your lifting life? Do you not feel them when you're training them? Do you not have a good mind-muscle connection with them is what I mean by feel? Uh, or have you had an injury to your knees, your hips, your back? So to me, we got to figure out why is it lagging. And, and there's multiple ways we can do that. Um, the first thing I want to look at is, can you activate that muscle without load? So if I'm using your bicep as an example, which is probably the way everyone knows, is you just curl your wrist towards your shoulder to make like a like the Arnold pose, right? If you can't yep. fully shorten your bicep and get a, what I call a 10 out of 10 contraction to where that muscle is going to cramp with your bicep, something's wrong. And we need to fix that via training or you need to get some soft tissue work done because the muscle's turned off. And that, that to me is step one or learning the biomechanics of that muscle. So the biceps easy, something like say the lat is a little less easy to do, or in my opinion, a lot harder to do because one, you can't see it in the mirror Two, that muscle crosses your rib cage. So if you think about the lat right. and how it contracts, right? 
if I'm going to do a row, my arm is fully extended. I'm driving my elbow back, but at the same time, I want to be thinking about driving my elbow down towards the ground. Then once I reach my elbow beside my rib cage, I want to start pulling it towards my spine. That's a weird concept for most guys to think about. And which is why you see a lot of guys have really shitty backs is because they train their backs, but their biceps are doing most of their work or their shoulders or rear delts or their upper back, meaning like traps, rhomboids, Terry's major minor, as opposed to that lat. And and if I'm being honest with myself, an injury made my back lose connectivity, but then also ego training is why my back is behind the game in terms of my entire physique is because I didn't focus enough on learning the biomechanics of how that lat works. I watched way too many Ronnie Coleman videos of him deadlifting the world, doing (laughs) T-bar rows with 10, 10, 11, 12 plates, doing barbell rows with 595. And I thought that you just moved heavy iron and your back would grow. Well, I was wrong. Right. Not so much. So that's what I do with people. If they talk to me about, man, I don't feel this exercise or, you know, I don't, I can't get this muscle to grow. Okay. Why can you activate it under no load? If you can't do it, we, we, there's no need to add load to it. Um, and what I said about making it cramp, you need to understand how you fully lengthen a muscle and how you fully shorten that muscle that you're targeting. And then you yeah. need to apply that when you do exercise with weights, kettlebells, body weight, you know, barbell, dumbbells, etc. So learning the basic. And I can I and I can be the first to kind of just going back to one of the points you said where feeling the muscle, sometimes needing soft tissue work. So I used to have a great mind muscle connection. I still really do have good mind muscle connections to all my muscles, but I've had some problems with shoulders. I've had a couple shoulder surgeries and sometimes because of my biomechanics and the compensations that I've built up over the years, my pec and my front delt sometimes do not fully engage and contract and other body parts take over that's when I started seeking out active release and Graston's and I got to get my right pec because my right shoulder will, it'll internally rotate in and that pec will tighten up and it won't engage when I'm doing my pressing movements unless I get the soft tissue work. So I think Chris makes a really valid point here in talking about you have to give your body assessed too, especially if you've been training for decades, have done athletics have thrown or swung a bat or thrown a ball for years or kicked a ball or done any of these repetitive motions, you can develop tennis. If you can, if you've played any of these things or done anything that could be, you know, building up weird compensations in the body, you also need to get these things addressed. If you can't feel your muscles engage when you're trying to work the, the exercises. And um, so for instance, on back, one of the tips that I give is I tell people your hand is a hook. Don't pull with your hand because you're you're going to activate your forearm flexors and your arm flexors and, and your biceps rather than pulling with the back muscles. So I tell people to pull with their elbows. I tell think of your hand as a hook and don't don't bend that hand. Just hook it onto the bar, hook it onto whatever you're grabbing and pull with your elbow. And that usually helps people engage the back and my, my back is my best body part. I've got a great mind-muscle connection. Every time I go to the gym, I have a great back workout. Right. It sometimes hurts my shoulder and bugs it, but I can go heavy. I can always feel it contract. I always get a good pump in it. It feels – I will be. I was sitting there the other day at Gold's, 
and I'd gotten done with three or four exercises and I was sitting there and I had a sweatshirt on. And I just felt my back was just swollen, <laughs> right. just swollen up. And, it, and it's such an empowering feeling when you can train a body part and feel that muscle get pumped up and feel it and be able to engage it correctly. And once you get that, then you have that. You don't even have to work on it because you'll just know how to engage it. And so to kind of give you guys a couple tips about back training specifically and then the the chest thing, um, I think that's, you know, part of that 10 to 10 contraction, what you're talking about. Can you make it cramp? So here's what, here's what's great, man. Um, this is what I find intriguing that no one talks about, right? So you said that what you just described for your back, that's the way my quads have been since day one. If, right. if, if I speak about back, even to this day after shit, almost 13 years of hard bodybuilding work, I have to really focus and think about back training. I have to, if I lose focus for 10 minutes in a back workout, my pump can completely go away. I can yeah. mindlessly do legs and my pump gets better and better and better and better. Um, and yeah. no one speaks about this, right? So wh- why is that? I-, I'd lo- I want to get to the bottom of why th- people have mind-muscle connections with certain body parts. And it's right out of the gate. You know, like I n- have never struggled getting a quad pump, a calf pump um, at all in my entire life. It's weird that those are my best body parts. There's, there's a correlation between that. What you just said for back, your back is your best body part. There has to be a correlation to that. Um, now, yep. back for me is hard, but I can tell you this. On the flip side, I used to have zero mind-muscle connection with my chest. Like, none. It, w- it was my worst body part when I started training to be a bodybuilder um, for the first two years. I acquired that. Now, that's not an issue. I can get a chest pump doing push-ups on the floor of my house, and my chest will be swollen for an hour. Now, I always wonder there is if the more tissue you have, the easier it is to get that. So that if you, like, say, speak about your arms or your shoulders, you probably experience what I described as back for your arms and shoulders. Is that true or false? Yeah. No, for sure. And sometimes I can't get, I usually can get, you know, I've learned how to get a good pump in my biceps and triceps. Right. Sometimes I don't always, especially since after my tricep tear in 2016, Mm -hmm. I can't always get a really good pump every time I work out, but that's kind of the limitation of the tendon and it'll get twingy on me and then I can't push. Right. So, but in, even if I'm going light, I'll, I'll, I'll be doing a rope for, you know, the, the, the old Flex Lewis 100 set where you do the rope wide, do the rope uh, narrow, do the rope overhead. Then you do the reverse pushdowns and then regular pushdowns right. for 20 each. And that, it, it'll work. It'll get my shit really pumped. But sometimes my tricep hurts the, the tendon, the long head at the insertion. Mm-hmm. And I have to back off because it gets twingy. But it, even before that... Arms were harder for me. Legs were harder for me. Although I've learned how to do legs. I've learned, I've learned through, you know, training with you primarily and with Mark Dugdale, of course, how to engage the muscles better. Um, and one of the examples is side laterals. So side laterals, a lot of people bend their elbows and they involve their traps and they do seated or standing and they, they, 
the, the, the trap is taking over on the elevating the shoulder. Yep. And when you, when you straighten your elbow and do little baby swings, almost, you know, the pulses yep. and just barely engage the, the, the medial deltoid and take the trap completely out of the movement. As Mark first kind of showed me back in 2015, my shoulders started growing. Um, and I, I learned that you can, you don't have to do this big movement with a bunch of fucking weight that you can't handle because chances are other body parts are going to be taken over and the primary mover that you're trying to get to lift isn't a primary mover anymore. Nope. And, and so, you know, you're using any, and, and I think in biomechanics, they talk about any body part that you train has a sisters. Mm-hmm. There's no way to fully isolate any one muscle in the body. There's always going to be co-contractors. There's always going to be stabilizers. Now the, through the EMG studies, you can maximize the contraction of of certain body parts and certain different exercises maximally uh, by you know the form that you use and the tempo that you use uh, and the exercises that you choose. But um, there's going to be some, some other ones that come into play, you know, regardless. Right, and you know, speaking about shoulders, that's a great ex- another great example that I can speak to personally. My shoulders used to be awful, along with my chest. Now I would consider my shoulders by far my best upper body body part. Um, like they hang yeah. off the bone and it's because I had, I spent so much time studying how the shoulder works and tinkering in the gym. Right. So I've always been bad at seated or standing barbell military press, but I used to do it because everyone said, you want big shoulders. You got to do it. Well, I was awful at it. Yeah. I tried to get good at it. And the most I've ever pressed overhead is 225 from five. And that's terrible. If you consider yeah. how much I can incline, um, dumbbells on shoulder press, I feel like crazy. So I can do hundreds for 10 to 15. I, I've done one twenties for eight before. So to me, that's heavy. Yeah, yeah. 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 And control them. Now my range of motion looks short. Like I only bring my hands down to like my earlobes and then I never pressed a full lockout. So I've always found right. personally with shoulders, I never work, work the extreme ranges of motion. I don't go super low on a shoulder press. I don't go all the way up on a rear delt exercise. John's taught me to do more of that, like hang and swing, like just get to the point where your rear delts maximally contracted and then get out of there. And that has really helped my shoulders take off and get to a new level of development. Because if you, I had to really focus on the biomechanics of how that worked and how it worked optimally. And so many people gloss over that. They just think, oh, well, you aren't doing that the right form. Well, it might not be the right form according to a textbook, but it's the right form for my body. So that's something to look at, too, for biomechanics. You know, very similar with, like, say, an incline barbell press that we do. John has taught me, you know, don't come down all the way to your chest and don't press all the way to lockout. And you stay in that sweet range of motion. And guess what? Yeah. Everyone's chest grows that doesn't. And there's a reason for that. Yeah. According to a guy in a lab coat, we're doing it wrong. But I can tell you as a bodybuilder, that's how your upper chest is going to (laughs) grow. Right. So that kind of leads us into proper form and execution. Um, And and that can be debatable, as I just talked about. Um, But what I always think about with that is, do you lift with your ego or do you lift the weight as a bodybuilder? And what I mean by that is, if you think about the world of powerlifting or a weightlifter, your goal is to move the weight from point A to point B the most efficiently as possible, which means engage as much muscle tissue in your body to press that as possible. 
if I'm a bodybuilder and I'm trying to do rear delts, I don't want to engage my traps. I do not want to engage my lats. I don't even want to technically get my side and front delt in there. I want to get just my rear delt to do a majority of the work. So yeah. that's what I get people to think about in terms of lifting. And the young kid that I trained with on Thursday, we were doing hack squat. And that's something I was talking to him about. I was like, listen, drive off the outside of your feet, sink these as low as humanly possible because I need your outer sweep on your quad to grow. Well, if we were doing five plates aside for multiple sets, most people are going to use everything in that lower body to get that weight up. Their glutes, their quads, their hamstrings, it didn't matter. But if you shift that emphasis on thinking about, I just want the outer sweep to press a majority of this weight and take the brunt of the load, how can we do that? Um, and it's actually, right. what I refer to that as, we want to be in, as inefficient as possible. I want to make that weight feel as heavy as I can for the targeted muscle. And then we get stronger out of that movement. Um, and that's something I've talked to you about a ton, right? Yep. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I've i struggled. At, I struggled at first when I kind of got back into legs from my functional training. And I was doing heavy sumo deadlifts. I was doing heavy kettlebell cleans and all that stuff where your entire body comes into play. Yep. Um, core, glutes, you know, adductors. And everything but the quads. Mm -hmm. So I struggled a little bit at first coming back when I was working out with Mark. And then I kind of took you guys on as my coaches, um, how to activate those quads. Yep. But once I learned how to activate them and it's, and, and it's really kind of a painful thing. And if any of you guys have ever seen or have checked out, go to check out the, the golden Eagle, Tom Platts in some of his videos and some of his, you know, Instagram uh, stuff. And he, he is the master blaster when it comes to training legs, primarily because, I mean, the guys, let's, let's not argue his genetics, <laughs> probably had a, the best genetic set for legs possible. And he was kind of short to the ground and stumpy and didn't have to go a real long way in his movement. But the, his mentality was to just cause himself the most pain and the most torture that he could possibly endure um, it, you know, and inflict on his legs to train them. And everybody he trains, he tortures, mm -hmm. he tortures them on legs. Um, so, you know, you, I, I think some body parts, you really have to, once you get that mind muscle connection, you have to then get into that kind of a self torture yep. thing. It's like, how much pain can you absorb, yep. um, to, to train those muscles? And, he took through, he took somebody through, I think it was Sergio Oliva, Oliva Jr. He was taking him through a workout and he took him through this gut busting set of uh, leg extensions where Sergio kept quitting and he just would say, we're just getting started. Yep. And he's like, come on, motherfucker, keep pushing, keep pushing, you know, and kept making him do more and more and more. And then at the end of the set, Sergio almost crumpled over and fell over. And he said, now I, I want that repeated six times. <laughs> Do that about six times in a workout. Yep. You know, it's what's and, it, he, and he's dead and he's dead fucking serious. Yeah. Oh, you know, here's what's crazy to me, man. Like what I always tell people is what does your form look like when it gets hard, when things start to burn, when your brain says quit, like what does your set look like? And I learned this from a powerlifter, believe it or not. It was this lady who used to come to the gym when I was really young. And I never forget, I heard her tell someone, 
I don't care if the if it's just the bar I'm bench pressing or if it's 315. Every set from warm up to work looks the exact same. And I watched that lady lift so much freaking weight and it looked flawless. <laughs> like she could yeah. bury ass to grass 405 on squats all day talking to someone. She could bench press 315 with ease. She was deadlift deadlifting 405 weekly right and she had so much lean muscle tissue on her um it was just impressive so i'd watch her lift and when i heard her say that like that really impacted me as a lifter um not even as a bodybuilder but just the art of training your warm-up set so many people just dick off through right they put their feet up on the bench when they're bench pressing they're fucking dicking off on instagram and social media there's a guy that comes to my gym who <laughs> literally does dumbbell curls with one with one hand and scrolls instagram with his other hand and i'm like jesus right. fucking christ like someone go smack him in the backside of the head and tell him to get serious like it drives me crazy um but what yeah. but tying that into what you talked about once you get that mind muscle connection you have to do those ball busting sets that involve how much pain can you endure you know when that once that fire sets in do you run from it and set the weight down or do you run into that bitch head first and say this is where i'm going to get better this is how my muscle is going to grow and if i expect this body part to catch up to the rest i have to stay in this zone until i almost black out um you know the path less taken is always the hardest but it's the most rewarding the people that you see that go from having shitty legs to really good legs to eventually great legs, that comes from suffering. And what I mean by suffering is how much pain can I tolerate in a given workout each week, week after week after week. And the people that can do that the longest tend to be able to bring body parts up. That once they learn the biomechanics, once they pair that with hard work and then do that time and time and week and week again, and then you match that with with, uh, your food and nutrition – that's how you make things grow. And, you know, I get into a conversation with people a lot of times of, you know, to me, quads and shoulders, or it's it's that those two muscles, to me at least, are very conducive to how much pain you can take, which is why I joke those, yeah. those are my two best body parts. Um, because, so you, that leads us, you know, I guess the question that people are probably asking right now is, say they got a weak back or they got a weak chest. So how many sets do they do? How often do they hit it? How often do you need to hit it for um, to make that lagging body part grow? And how much is too much? Okay. Um, there's multiple camps. And I say camps because it's really cool and cliche to say these days. Um, but to me and to the mountain dog, um, the ability to recover is what impacts that. So, if I can yep. train a body part and let's just say uh, shoulders, if I can train that and it's healed in three days, fully healed, recovered, no soreness, I can fire that muscle at maximum capacity. Um, I can train it again. So that is fully dictated by your level to recover. And everyone's body responds to recovery different. Like I'm sure for you, you have body parts that get sore and stay sore longer than others. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Um, like yep. for for me personally, my chest can get really freaking sore and stay that way for two days sometimes. Yeah, it just can. My quads can take a beating. I can beat them fuckers into the ground, and I I could probably train legs every other day if I wanted to. Um, 
yeah. my shoulders, on the other hand, do not get sore hardly at all, um, which is weird to think about. Um, but the recovery to me is what dictates how many sessions per week. Because what I don't want to do is I do not want to train a sore muscle. That's going to lead to breakdown and getting smaller. So, right. like Dorian talked about it, for him, the way he trained, his he could only take once a week. If you look at someone like Ronnie, he could train everybody part two or three times a week. Same with Arnold. Yeah. Arnold's the same way. He, he used to train everybody part two or three times a week. That was completely dictated by their ability to recover and their training style. So yeah. it's that marrying of high intensity versus um, versus volume that you have to match. And that's why I feel like the Mountain Dog style is very, very conducive to bringing up lagging body parts and staying healthy is we have one workout early in the week where you just trash it hard, high intensity, typically higher volume. And then later in the week, we come back after that muscle's recovered and we train it again with lower intensity and more moderate volume just to bring a pump and a huge insane pump to that muscle. And then we rest, yeah. rest, and then we back to repeat it with a hard day. Um, that's our typical 1.0 program. Anyone that comes to us, um, that's what we do with them for lagging body parts. We heavily encourage them to train it twice a week where our strong body parts, we only train that once a week in the off season. Now we also have right. um, more high frequency models, meaning you train a body part upwards of three times a week. But with that model, you have to back off your other body parts. So if I'm using you for an example, if we're going to say do Taskmaster and we're going to do the arm block because that's what you need to bring up. When you train arms yeah. three times a week, the rest of your body parts, meaning chest, back, shoulders, legs, take a pr less priority and we put those on maintenance right. and all of your energy and intensity are taken to your three arm days per week. If you do not back off intensity of your other body parts, it's, it's useless. You cannot do that. You, yeah. No one can recover that much. Um, that I've seen and he's seen. So, you know, you've done and Charles Poliquin. Yeah. Charles Poliquin talked, talked about something that he termed overreaching. Right. And that's exactly what, what John has modeled in this approach. And so with overreaching and they sometimes I, Charles, I think he would do this more with strength athletes and professional like Olympic athletes. And although I think he's done it with hypertrophy and bodybuilder type athletes too. So, Every once in a while, he would train, you would do legs in the morning, like maybe quads in the morning and then hamstrings at night where you double up on the workouts and just trash the shit out of your legs. You can only do that like once a month, overreach and train something twice a day. But he would he would use that to push you past a plateau yep. that, that you may have. So I think a lot of times, you know, people get complacent. They'll get a workout plan. They'll do the workouts. They'll do... The same, you know, exercises in the same manner over and over and over again, but they won't really be progressing. What I mean in progressing is they won't use the progressive overload principle or they won't, you know, you know, as in go heavier or do advanced techniques where they do maybe ISO holds or partials or, or you know, forced reps and things like that to push past you know, plateaus, drop sets. Um, so you, you have to, you have to be able to do that, but you have to pick and choose when you do those techniques because you can't do them two, three times a week 
every week. So like, just like you said, you have a very intense workout early in the week where you blast it higher volume. And then that would be considered like your primary day. And then you would have a secondary day where you blast it again, but maybe not use all those techniques and throw, you know, everything, you know, but the kitchen sink at, at that muscle or muscle groups. Um, and then, and then you back off and you recover. Cause let's not forget. And I think the Mike Menser theory, the heavy duty theory and every, even doing volume training, we're not growing when we're in the gym. What makes you grow is, is your sleep and your eating and your recovery outside of the gym. And people need to understand, you know, if you work out and you get into this getting in shape and you're maybe you've done a show, maybe you haven't, maybe you're getting ready for the summer season and you start doing cardio all the time and you're working out all the time and you're looking and feeling better and feeling lean. Your body doesn't have an unlimited amount of recovery ability to be able to do massive amounts of cardio and massive amounts of workouts week in, week out. Um, even if you're eating good, um, at some point you got to back off on some of that stuff because if you're always doing cardio, burning fat, how are you going to build muscle tissue? Yep. So, so that's the rest and recovery. And with that rest and recovery, obviously nutrition, um, the supplements that you talked about, And then I like to do soft tissue work, active release therapy. I like to go to chiropractic adjustments. Um, Do you, have you been doing sauna? Do you do hot Epsom salt baths or anything like that? Yes, I do. Um, I try to do sauna, sauna once or twice a week. And then I do Epsom salt baths once or twice a week as well. And then if I'm really feeling beat up, I'll use an old football technique and do an ice bath, um, which is extreme. (laughs) Um, I'll just go to Sheets or Kroger and buy three 10-pound bags of ice, put it in my bathtub, fill it up, fill the bathtub up with cold water, and then jump in it for eight to ten minutes. And it is awful. For how long? Eight to ten minutes. Did You, you never did that in football? <laughs> you never did ice baths? Yeah. No. No. We used to do – no. In, in, in college mm-hmm. football, I don't think we did it in high school, but in double days after the morning workout, they'd have these huge – Rubbermaid garbage cans yep. filled full of ice water. Yep. And you would strip down to your girdle. Yep. You'd take off your, your, your main pants, strip down the girdle, take your shoulder pads off. Of course, we'd have like the half shirts at yeah. that point. This was back back then. <laughs> right. <laughs> and we would, there would be a rotation. There'd probably be five or six garbage cans and probably 25 to 30 of the guys would use it. You know, there'd always be some people that don't like doing that. Right. But, um, I tell you what, when you would do that in the morning and not do it in the morning and then go work out in the afternoon at 3 PM again, after you just got done at like 11 AM, you would feel a distinct difference in how your muscles felt in the afternoon. If you did the ice or if you did not do the ice, if you did not do the ice, your legs would be tired. Yep. They'd be more fatigued. If you did the ice and we used to hop in for probably four or five minutes, mm-hmm. um, you would feel so much more refreshed in that afternoon workout, like night and freaking day. Oh yeah. And you know, I do that, uh, especially pre-contest if I'm doing a lot of cardio, I'll take an off day from training. I'll get deep tissue massage middle of the day. I'll have chiropractic yep. done in the morning. I'll do an ice bath when I get home after the massage 
and then I'll lay on the couch with my feet elevated for the rest of the night on a full true off day from cardio and lifting and deep in contest prep. I'll wake up that next yeah. morning and feel like a new person. My my joints will feel better. Wow. Um, I'm rejuvenated. All those toxins have been flushed out of my body. Um, I just feel yep. better. And, and, you know, no one really considers that. So if you have, let's say, for example, if you have weak legs and you're beating the hell out of them year round, twice a week, um, if you don't do that stuff, meaning saunas, deep tissue, chiropractic, ice baths, you're eventually going to the point where your knees are going to start bothering you. Your hips will start bothering you. Ankles, you'll lose mobility in them. Um, so your ability to not only recover from the workouts, but also to withstand the the beating you're putting on it has a huge impact on your ability's body to grow year after year. And, you know, speaking about those ice baths, you know, three to five, eight, ten minutes max would go a long way. Now, listen, when you go in there the first time, it hurts. Um, it's not enjoyable. But you just kind of bear your grit your teeth and do it. I know a lot of people are doing that cryotherapy now, um, where you get in those sh- chests and they shut the door on you like a coffin. I'll tell you what, I did that back in my contest prep, and I didn't notice near the uh, benefit that I do with a traditional ice bath. I don't. Have you ever done those before, Greg? What, just a, a straight ice bath? No, that cryotherapy where you get in that tub, or not the tub, but you get in that booth and it frees. Yeah, I have done it and I didn't get really good results off it because they only may let you stay in for like, I think, two minutes. Yeah, the one I went to was or three some, minutes. Okay, I did it and I didn't feel anything like when I do ice baths. Agreed. I, I just didn't feel like it penetrated me deeply enough with the coldness of it or the length of the time. And I think there is liability where they can't put you in those things for too long. But um, yeah, it didn't, it, it, it didn't, I didn't get really good results from it. I've also tried those float tanks too, the saltwater deprivation tanks. Oh, right. I haven't done that. And yeah, I've tried that and I didn't, I didn't really think much of it. I I just kind of got squirrely in the tank. And (laughs) (laughs) if anything, I couldn't clear my mind. I just started thinking, thinking about shit more and it was too fucking quiet. Right. And then I just started to get pissed off after a while. Like, get me out of this thing. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm just, I'm wasting, I'm wasting my time right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I think to kind of wrap yeah. this subject up, man, the only other thing we have on our list here is uh, the older lifter versus the younger lifter and then the correlation between how you would do that. Um, and to me, an older lifter who, and in this case, I'm going to speak about one that's beat up because if you're healthy, that doesn't really matter. Um, an older lifter who had, who has had injuries, just general wear and tear of being in the bodybuilding or powerlifting or just been lifting weights or playing sports for a long time. You just have to pay attention to warning signs more. Like, are you achy? Do your joints hurt? Do you have inflammation? You really have to nail nutrition and intra workout nutrition, even more important than a younger lifter. Because when you're younger, you can get away with a little bit more stuff because your body's more resilient. You can, when you're younger, I mean, you can you could squat two or three times a week pretty aggressively and have no side effects. Yeah. 35 to 45 and above, if you squat heavy twice a week, it, it's you're going to feel it when you wake up the next day. Um, I would right. love to say that it's not that way, but it's just the truth. <laughs> Think about this. If I had you deadlift and squat heavy twice in one week, you would feel like shit, right? Oh, yeah. Um, and, and I'm the same way. If you made me do that twice in a week, 
meaning squat heavy and deadlift heavy, both twice in one week with a barbell with maximum load, I wouldn't be able to recover from that. And I would be in the chiropractor's office and she'd be like, Chris, what in the world are you doing? Stop it immediately. So that's the difference to me. Now, what I try to impress upon my younger lifters is I just want to really teach them that longevity is important. And even though you can get away with it today, doesn't mean you're going to get away with it tomorrow. So with that, I'm just trying to pass on the knowledge of, listen, you don't want to be like me and have a tour lower lumbar from being a dumb meathead in the gym. Be smart. Be intelligent yeah. with your programming. By all means, attack the weights. If squats are great for you biomechanically, do them to your blue in the face. But strap a belt on. If something feels weird, stop and do another exercise. The leg press is not going to make your legs smaller. Trust me. Um, and just be intelligent with it. So, you know, to me, bringing up lagging body parts just comes down to how much volume we can give it in a week with proper recovery how much of that volume are you feeling directly in the target muscle, which should be 100% of it? Um, and then lastly, pairing that with nutrition, supplementation, and recovery. And you can watch a lagging body part grow like a weed, like the rest of your body. Yeah. Guys, that does it for another episode of Physical Culture Radio. We want to thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week. 